listening to Soul Knox Podcast, and I'm your host, Carl Hikara. And this is episode number uh, 53. And uh, this week on the podcast is the next installment of Darkness Weaves. My, uh, me and uh, Mike Hill, from, you know, from Tombs, Everything Went Black, Bellow Horseman of the Podcasting Apocalypse, uh, this is our journey through uh, through the, the world of Carl Edward Wagner, which we're spreading across uh, between uh, between everything went black and uh, and Soul Knox. So yeah, last month we did um, the story uh, the fourth seal on everything went black, and this month we have more sinned against. So basically, we're working our way through the recently republished uh, edition of In a Lonely Place, released by Valancourt Books. Uh, go pick that up. Pick up the audiobook. Um, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever's clever. And uh, yeah, please support them. Please, let's try to get more of Carl Edward Wagner's work out there into the world. We need to get the rest of it reprinted, because as of right now, that is the only one that is in print. Uh, the Kane stories and novels are uh, available on Kindle, at least. But, yeah, I really want to have some uh, some new editions of all this shit. So, yeah. So, yeah, we're covering more Sinned Against. Um, very sleazy uh, journey through degradation of, uh, you know, Hollywood degradation. So, it's a classic story of, uh, you know, girl going to Hollywood and uh, making that slide into drug addiction, pornography, and uh, and whatnot. So yeah. So hope you guys enjoy the episode. It's good. It was a good one. We had fun talking about the story. It's not my favorite story so far, but it was a still enjoyable one. And uh, yeah, hope you guys will enjoy it. Speaking of the horsemen of the podcast apocalypse, that is my uh, gang of horse of of fellow podcasters. Every other Monday, you have Horror Wolf 666 with Brandon Legion. Brandon and I just recorded um, an episode for my Patreon for my series, The Blood is the Life, um, which is all a uh, journey through the history of Dracula adaptations in film, at least the ones that I like. We just talked about uh, the Universal Dracula movie, and um, we'll be... Uh, That'll be coming out here in a day or two, so keep your eyes open. And uh, yeah, if you're not a member of the Patreon, it's uh, patreon.com forward slash Soul Knox Podcast. It's $2 a month, and I'm trying to do two to four bonus episodes a month as much as I can. Um, and uh, yeah, I have uh, have this one coming out uh, with Brandon, and then I'm going to do a top 10 vampire movies episode to kind of go alongside the this, uh, this series. Um, and I have, uh, some other stuff going on over there and we'll get some more stuff going on Patreon as well. So yeah, check that out. $2 a month helps me out a lot. Uh, you know, so I always appreciate any support that people give me. Like it's very, uh, very nice. And, uh, anyways, so yeah. Um, and Brandon, of course, will eventually come back on the main feed here soon. Uh, try to get him on soon again for the main feed. All right, and then on Tuesdays, you have Into the Necrosphere of Jackie Schmidt, which is the best metal podcast out there. Wednesdays, you have the aforementioned Everything Went Black with Mike Hill. 
On Thursdays, you have Necromaniacs with Mike Hill, Mike Scandato, and Jeff Kashid. And then uh, Fridays, you have Break the Apocalypse with John Draper. And then my, um, my, um, I have a couple podcasts which I also uh, associate with who aren't part of the Horseman, and that's Iblis Manifestations with Cheyenne from Trivax, and the Mycelium Signal with Constantine uh, Tuonnohovi, part of the Tuonnohovi uh, Collective. Uh, he just did an episode with uh, with Richard Gavin, a second part to one he did earlier, which I highly recommend. It just came out yesterday. Uh, go and look it up, Mycelium Signal. Uh, Richard Gavin, and uh, listen to both those episodes. And he also did a great one with my friend Nas Alchemist. Um, all right, yep. And then let's see what else. Uh, you can follow everybody on uh, social media. You know, rate all the podcasts on Spotify or whatever format you're on. You can follow me at um at my name, or you can find me at Denver Underground Radio. And Denver Underground Radio is my online radio station that I run. Um, and we have shows every Tuesday and Wednesday. So Tuesday is my show Darklands, which is black metal, death metal, dark ambient, etc. Thursdays is, uh, uh, the upstairs room, which I do my friend Ken. We do dark wave, goth, post-punk, trip-hop, whatever we feel like pretty much. Um, and both those shows start at 9 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on those days. So yeah, check it out. You can go to com. And uh, on the so on the social medias, I post all the set lists as well as the uh, um, as well as the stuff about the podcast. And speaking of Constantine, um, next week's episode is going to be with him. So we talk about uh, his podcast, Mycelium Signal. We talk about Tuanan Porti, and we talk about um, subjects around sacred horror, the monstrous soul, and. Uh, all these types of things. Uh, it's a really, really great um, episode, really great conversation that we had. Um, very inspiring one, and I'm looking forward to getting that out there for everybody. And, uh, yeah, so that's what's coming out next week. And like I said, keep your eyes, if you are on the Patreon, uh, keep your eyes open for the new episode of Brandon about Dracula, which was a lot of fun doing. And we talk, we also kind of spiral off and, the last part of the podcast is just us talking about horror and all that kind of stuff. And we get into a lot of, like, uh, you know, nostalgia stuff from being kids or whatever, you know. So it's a cool episode. All right, so I hope you guys enjoy this episode with Mike Hill. Um, so, yeah, we're going to get into it. Uh, More Sinned Against by Carl Edward Wagner. Hope you guys enjoy. Hail Satan. <laughs>
theirs was a story so commonplace that it balanced uneasily between the maudlin and the sordid, a cliché dipped in filth. Her real name was Katerina Oglethorpe, and she changed that to Candace Thornton when she moved to Los Angeles. But she was known as Candy Thorne in the few films she ever made, the ones that troubled to list credits. She came from some little Baptist church and textile mill town in eastern North Carolina, although later she said she came from Charlotte. She always insisted that her occasional and transient friends call her Candace, and she signed her name Candace in large, legible hand for those occasional and compulsive autographs. She had lofty aspirations and only minimal talent. One of her former agents perhaps started her Mojust, a lady with a lot of guts but too much heart. The police records gave her name as Candy Thornton. There had been money once in her family, and with that, the staunch pride that comes of having more money than the other thousand or so inhabitants of the town put together. Foreign textiles eventually closed the mill. Unfortunate investments leached the money. Pride of place remained. By the time that any of her past really matters, Candace had graduated from an area church-supported junior college where she was homecoming queen and she'd won one or two regional beauty contests and was almost a runner-up in Miss North Carolina pageant. Her figure was good, although more for a truck stop waitress than suited to a model's requirements, and her acting talents were wholehearted, if marginal. Her parents believed she was safely enrolled at UCLA, and they never quite forgave her when they eventually learned otherwise. All right, well, we're... Back for Darkness Weaves. It's been been a little bit since the last one, and uh, we're still on track, though. We're doing one a month. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Yeah, we we got it. We got it. it's our it's our duty, man. And yeah. uh, you know, like to shout out our friends at uh, Valancourt Books who um reposted the last episode, um or at least the Instagram post for it. And uh, yeah, go definitely check this book out. Uh, in a lonely place, which is published by them, republished by them, but also check out the rest of their catalog. They've got some incredible uh, pieces for sale on their website, so definitely check it out. One thing that I really, if I had like enough money, I would, they have like a sale right now on um, yeah <laughs> the paperbacks from hell, like where it's yep. like all the paperbacks from hell in one thing. It's like two hundred bucks. Yeah, I was looking at that. Yeah, I was like, man, <laughs> if I had two hundred dollars right a second, I'd be buying that shit because it's like. 18 like fucking killer like of those weird paperbacks for back then like i remember reading those like from the library when i was a kid you know what i mean like well anyone out there who's got the cash the extra in, you know income go out and buy them man because valancourt really does some good stuff yeah they do great and uh hopefully maybe they'll uh bring out a new uh, another uh wagner edition we'll see <laughs> well i mean ideally i think it'd be great if they started you know, it started in on the Kane stories, you know, or at least publishing the uh, the novels first, maybe, and then going into the short story collections. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe they could do the second horror story collection and then do the Kane stuff, like because that that second horror story collection has also not been in print for a long time either. So 
would be kind of cool. Either way, whatever they publish, I just hope they publish more Wagner. <laughs> oh, definitely, for sure. Yeah, the story we're covering this week is called More Sinned Against. And um, Wagner himself, in the back, he says that uh, this is kind of a funny story. Uh, um, the uh, He says, in view of this, probably the worst mistake possible for an editor is to ask me to for a story and to give me carte blanche to write contemporary horror as I personally interpret the genre without ever having read enough of my work to know what I might produce. Such was the case with More Sinned Against, published in the Screen Press edition of In a Lonely Place for the first time. The story was written during the spring of 1984 for an anthology of original horror stories whose editor claimed to have read In a Lonely Place and asked me for a story. No guidelines, just my interpretation of contemporary horror. And so I wrote More Sinned Against, somewhat experimental in its hard-boiled journalistic technique, but basically a horror story about people using people. As usual, I was late and the story was longer anticipated, but the editor returned more sinned against with the sincere regrets on the fundamental grounds that the heroine had been able to profit from her ordeal of drugs. And this might tempt some young readers to experiment with drugs. <laughs> Personally, I thought that I was putting the exact opposite message in this Tarasa story, but no matter. <laughs> yeah, it does not portray drug use in a positive light, for sure. You know, I mean, it's not like no. this pro drug story at all. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah, it's like basically everyone's lives are ruined by the use of uh, hard drugs in the story. Yeah, this, yeah. I wasn't sure what I, I didn't know what I was expecting when I, when I read, started reading the story, but it definitely uh, didn't go where I was expecting. I mean, just put it that way. I was kind of like, okay. It's definitely um, a little bit of a departure from his other types of stories. Um, you know, it's, it's a sleazier story. Um, in some ways, it reminds me of maybe like a, like a Michael, Michael Shea story or something like that, you know, without, you know, because he, he tends to focus on the underside of society and, you know, kind of, you know, these pornographic, you know, users of people and that sort of stuff. Yeah, I could I could definitely see that. It definitely feels like more of a, a Shea story minus the Lovecraftian elements. And it's yeah. kind of like, um, yeah, it's a little surprising because like, I, I, am, I hadn't read in so far, you know, I haven't read anything by, by Wagner that's quite like this, you know, and um but I mean, it's good. It's well written. It's very, very terse. Like he uh, he achieves a lot in, in some of the some of the some of the writing in it is very like evocative with just like a line. You know what I mean? Like you get you get exactly what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. And in that way, it's very like Hemingway esque too. In some ways, um, you know, if you were to read like like a Nick Adams story or something of that nature, where the you know very short sentences, very to the point. Uh, it's a shorter story and word count as well as some of the others that we've been covering. And um, yeah, it just has a very straightforward narrative to it. You know, yeah. there's not a lot of like, uh, you know, purple prose or anything like that, you know? No, yeah, it's definitely different. But yeah, it's like, so the, the story's um, main character, her real name is Katarina Oglethorpe, but she changed it to Candace Thornton when she moved to Los Angeles. But she was known as Candy Thorn in the few movies she ever made, the ones that troubled the list credits. <laughs> so she's she's set up as being like from some Baptist town in North Carolina, but she'll it's, say, uh, "God fearing Southern girl." Yeah, yeah, and she comes. She has this like dream of you know being um, 
being a star, you know, and there's some aspects of this story that almost definitely uh, resonate a lot with stuff that David Lynch has covered in his book, in his movies, like Mulholland Drive or Lost Highway, you know, um, it's like the, definitely the underside of, of LA. And, um, unfortunately she, uh, what was the guy's name? She has the unfortunate Justin uh, Richards, Justin. Yeah. Richards, Justin, like she, so she's there. She's like fucking, you know, kind of like not really making it. Kind of, kind of trying to get a part in movies, doing some modeling, you know, getting by. I mean, she's definitely uh, slept, slept with some producers for some parts already. You know what I mean? Like, well, and- actually, so has uh, Rick Justin too. That's how they met. Actually, they both have uh, slept with the same producer, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who then burned them both? Yeah, and that's how they that's how they met. And I, it's funny in the part too where she called it. Uh, it says like she gave up her treasured virginity like fifteen times before or something like that. Yeah, that, like, that was <laughs> nice, uh, nice ironic, uh, you know, twist there. I thought, you know, a little yeah. flair. Yeah, and he's talking about how his parents, her parents, disowned her because they uh, they wouldn't give her money for an abortion and all this stuff. And um. Yeah, so she ends up meeting with this 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 guy and um and like a like a parasite that you can't get rid of. He uh, enters her life basically. You know what I mean? Yeah, and the, and the sad part about it is like right off the bat, this this guy is it's like his career first, and all of her sacrifices are made in for him basically. You know, like she's uh, you know, he is is definitely like you said a parasitic sort of presence in her life and uh you know things quickly start devolving you know for her for actually for both of them actually they both get addicted to drugs and they talk about how cocaine is like this big you know it's necessary to do coke and party and like you know be part of uh the scene in a way to further your career so that was like the justification for drug use for them yeah that's where it kind of opened up so they're both trying to make their their career and in a way at the beginning it seems like maybe you know like he's definitely sponging off of her um you know he's using her money and all this stuff she's doing she's the one actually getting work for the most part you know and but yeah they start getting addicted to drugs and cocaine and then eventually uh heroin and but things are aside from that things are kind of like going okay like but then but then um i forget what she like loses a big part right yeah and then he like beats her (laughs) you know like yeah yeah and then yeah and uh because he's so upset at her because you know like can't lose you know what's what about my my you know like if you can't pay rent like what's gonna happen to me you know that's what he's, he's basically talking about you know, you know who, um, when I was reading this, I, I was always imagining the actor James Woods playing him, like a young James Woods, you know, like in uh, like this, you know, real sketchy sort of rat-like faced guy, you know, like. Except for he's he's actually like uh, described as being kind of like uh, a two, real. 215 pounds, six foot. Yeah. Like he's a strapping guy, you know, yeah. but like, yeah. Yeah, like he's described as a. Um, like what do you call it? Like yeah, like some kind of heartthrob kind of guy, you know? What I mean, yeah. like he's all muscle. He, he, I think he probably looked more like um, uh, what's his name? Like Jason? What's that one um guy who who's in um, 
uh, like how H two O, like the oh, so what's that? So no H two O like the like um like because he's described kind of like you know like the I can't who played like um her son in that movie. Which one? Halloween H two O. Oh, oh um, yeah, yeah. Oh. I can't. I can't remember his, his name. He's the same guy who was in Thirty Days from Night, I think. Oh, uh, Josh Hartnett. Yeah, like I almost kind of imagine him was kind of like that because some type of heartthrob kind of guy, but he's like real, like fucking seedy at the same time. He's like a horrible person, you know. What I mean, like if Josh Hartnett was a horrible person, <laughs> Hartnett always has the vibe. What's that? He's like this good guy. Yeah, I mean. I keep, yeah. Well, we'll find out later on. He goes and plays like a, uh, you know, like some type of like Indiana Jones type of character. So, but yeah. Um, so you can kind of understand how a woman might get attracted to some guy like that. He's like, you know, he's like attractive and she thinks that they like their soulmates, basically. Like she's so in love with him. And that's kind of what ends up destroying everything. But, I think she then like um, she basically ends up like starring in in a, a slasher movie, right? Like as like not the main character, but another character. But that's like the first movie where she starts like getting naked on screen, basically, right? That, that was kind of her uh, compromise, like her first, you know, uh, you know, warming, semi-clad, you know, showing some, you know, some skin. And then you get the sense that with as the roles kept coming, because she didn't have like the best actor actor abilities, like she wasn't the best actress. She was less skilled in that department, but she got the roles because she looked good and she was willing to be naked on on camera. And uh, the quality kept degenerating, and she became more of a you know more of the Candy Thorn character as opposed to the Candace Thornton character. You know, yeah, she. It's described as she's like kind of in like softcore kind of movies, like you right. know, like. But of course, as the story of those things go, like she gets asked to do some hardcore, you know what I mean? And and yeah. and and um, this fucking scumbag like basically is like, you got to do it because like we need the money because of my career, you know what I mean? Basically, yeah. And her compromise though, like the justification for doing that on screen was because she justified it in her mind that, well, you know, I've, I've slept with directors and producers before to get rolled. So how much is this? Di how different is this to actually being filmed on screen, having sex? You know, it's like, I've been doing this in the background anyway. So I, that, that was kind of her justification. It's like this very cynical uh, viewport into what we're you know what I, my our ideas of how things work behind the scenes in like the film world you know and guys like harvey weinstein and all that sort of stuff you know kind of confirm those ideas yeah i mean it seems pretty pretty uh like that that particularly back then i think was probably a uh definitely a 100 how things worked you know what i mean oh, yeah, and uh and the whole thing with the drugs like the fact like drugs is social capital you know like from what i understand particularly hollywood in the 70s and early 80s or the 80s i mean that was the case like be it if you're a musician if you're an actor like if you didn't have coke on you you weren't like you know somebody you know what i mean <laughs> because that shows you got money to buy coke you know like 
I'm guessing. I would imagine that's what the case is, but that's what they're they're thinking. But they're as this is happening, they're you know now she's becoming like a porn star, like like for real, legit porn star, and uh, um, and she's doing more drugs because of that. So she's doing more and more drugs to kind of cope with the stress of doing the porn and and everything. And until one day she's so fucked up that she can't perform. And then the Justin guy beats her so bad that she they get, she gets kicked off the movie, basically. And uh, and then the next slide into degradation is now she's going to start. Now she becomes kind of like a, a prostitute, basically, you know, and doing like CD, like eight millimeter, like yeah. stag films. Yeah, the loop. That's like the, that was like the, the saddest part. You know, if you think about her descent into, you know, chaos or into degradation, you know, you think of the trajectory of this person. She arrives in uh, Los Angeles with all these, you know, dreams of becoming an actress and being successful and having a career. And then within a matter of, I'm not exactly sure of the time frame, probably like a couple of years, you know, she's out on the street, addicted to drugs, you know, be getting beat up by her, you know, her, her, quote unquote boyfriend and then doing going from making f- feature films you know like horror films to softcore to hardcore porn to just these cd like film loops that appear in like these like weird jack shacks and stuff you know what i mean yeah yeah it's yeah. like um and and all the while she's keeping them with a house and stuff like she's not yeah. homeless or nothing like she's keeping their house their like she's paying for everything like she's paying for everything and um like uh, as well this is going on this fucker is going off and you know uh his stuff is going up you know what i mean his shit's going up and he actually starts seeing another woman too Mm -hmm. you know she kind of justifies that as well like she's sort of like in her you know traumatized mind you know, she's like, oh, well, you know, it, for his career, he's doing all these things. And, you know, I love him and I'm going to continue supporting everything. Well, yeah. And I think it says that after she gets herpes, like he won't have sex with her anymore, basically. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> and then it kind of culminates. Um, well, not culminates. There's even more to that. Like, but basically, like, she's, she's prostituting. Then he brings her to do this fucked up, like bdsm type of thing where they're like branding her and stuff like that which is like supposed to be some type of like weird satanic orgy type of thing or whatever right yeah that's the that's the uh you know after reading all this stuff right i'm like all right cool i'm getting bludgeoned with reality here you know in the story uh when's the fanciful stuff gonna start you know when's the horror (laughs) element it's like it's like this this seedy onslaught of just degradation like for the first half of the book really or half well, of the short story rather you know pretty much the like, entirety okay. of it yeah <laughs> yeah pretty much the whole thing is like this seedy descent into you know just this mire of like humili- humiliation and you know and trauma and all this you know seediness and uh so now like she's doing this um weird it, it's actually they they're considered killing her at one point too remember that was like part of the negotiation basically yeah basically uh rick justin sells her to these guys and he's like yeah you can kill her if you want you know but they're like now nah, normally you know someone that we can't trace you know essentially they, they they only kill people that are like 
in the country illegally or like runaways or something like that. Someone that no one's going to be looking for, you yeah. know, and they, they deemed her to be someone who has an identity that they can't just erase. So they decided just to like brand her and make her part of the satanic ritual. Yeah. And that's, and so that's kind of like the, the, the bottom part, because at this point he leaves, he like leaves her in her apartment or whatever, in their apartment or whatever, basically leaves her to die. Like he leaves her enough heroin to kill herself essentially. Cause he thinks that's what she's going to do. But then she, at this moment, for some reason decides that, no, I'm going to quit all the shit, you know? And she ends up like going through withdrawals, all this stuff, healing up. She sells the heroin to make some money so that she can like not work for a while. And then I think eventually she gets, she keeps like prostituting and stuff, but it's not going very good. And eventually she gets picked up by the cops and a friend of theirs like takes pity on her and bails her out. And then he's kind of like helps her get a, a real job, basically working at a factory essentially. Yeah. You know, and then she's actually turns out to be a good worker. You know, she shows up on time. She's like productive. You know, people seem to like her. She gets along with everyone. You know, she's just living the simple life, putting money away, you know, improving her, her situation and that sort of thing. Yeah. And she's like, the sad part though, is she's still living in the same place that she lived with him because she can't let go of this like fantasy that he'll come back to her or something like that. Or she can't let go of, she can't accept the fact that he's moved on. And and then we find out that he ends up becoming, a, he ends up getting some like TV shot where everybody loves him in a couple episodes again. And that leads him to being the, the main character in some type of like adventure, you know, TV show, like you would have in the eighties, like where he's like, uh, Almost kind of an Indiana Jones type of character. It's described. Well, he's Colt Savage. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is like basically, you know, obviously he's, uh, you know, know, knowing that Wagner is a big fan of the pulps. You know, I'm assuming that he's like a Doc Savage kind of guy. You know, like this kind of adventurer. You know, globe trotting adventurer, action hero type of guy. Yeah, exactly. This is where I feel like um, Wagner's putting like his his like deeper influences and he's you know just sprinkling a little bit of into this contemporary story you know but but so far throughout this entire collection you know pretty much in each story we 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 get his um love of weird fiction and um pulps and you know weird tales and all that sort of stuff and you know this one without that reference to doc savage you know the pulpiness of a character like that this would be wouldn't be part it, it would stick out i guess in this collection as being different you know yeah exactly and i think in the 80s something like that probably could have come out and been popular i mean you had indiana jones you had you had a lot of those yeah you had a lot of those guys from from that time period who were really influenced by all those same things you know and like george lucas and whoever so you know you could see something like that and they had a lot of those kind of those kind of adventure shows back then yeah. You, ever, you ever read any Doc Savage? I know you and I always talk about pulps and, you know, characters like Conan and, you know, Bram Warren and, you know, John Carter and all that sort of stuff. Have you ever read any uh, Doc Savage stories? I actually haven't read any Doc, Doc Savage. So I haven't either, actually. Only only comics. Like, I've read a bunch of the comic adaptions and stuff, but never any of the original, like, pulps. You know? Yeah, I think it might be kind of fun. Like, I'm sure they're, sure they're crazy, like, crazy stuff happening, but it's a lot, I like those pulps, oh, yeah. so... Uh, but yeah, so then 
basically this becomes like a fucking phenomena it's basically like on the level of a indiana jones or whatever where there's like action figures you know and it's like the most popular action figure and they start making them at at her factory which is like such a um like what are the chances of that happening you know what i mean but it's like such a um almost like this like shakespearean twist in the story where where uh of course they're manufacturing tiny replicas of this guy who like completely ruined her life and broke her heart you know but she's still holding on to some type of fantasy about the whole thing and she's like well now he's made it now he'll bring he'll you know bring me back you know accept me back or whatever and she starts like begging basically to be invited i guess he has like a birthday party or something right right yeah this this is like the 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 final straw man which is like very very intense part of of the story yeah like she shows up She's all excited, and then she realizes that he was like, "Oh, there's a star of shows here," and she bring he brings her in, and she realizes that they're watching a a donkey show of movie that she did, and I was just like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> I was like, "A donkey?" I was like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, it's brutal, very brutal part. Yeah, and she runs out, and yeah, this one finally she sees him for who he really is. You know, you think that she would have before, but. Some people that that's like that. I've met people who keep going back to abusive relationships over and over and over again. I mean, I've seen it. So it's like, as some people might be like, "Oh, she should have left him a long time." It's like some people, it just happens that way. They just they get sucked in it, you know. Oh yeah, totally. That that's almost like a, a very typical story, really. In some cases, you know. Yeah, maybe not as extreme as this, but I'm sure this is, this story has happened, you know. And then. Then now we finally get to the final little bit, which is basically um, um, she like goes trying to remember exactly how it goes. Oh, yeah. So she goes home. She's like about to kill herself. And then she pulls like a razor that was his and still has his like stubble and stuff on it. And she thinks about a a porno movie she made before called Voodoo Vixens or a horror movie or whatever. And that sparks something in her. She thinks voodoo. Hmm. You know, and she goes down to the bookstore, like like the cult bookstore, you know, picks up all the books about voodoo and everything she can and starts to like uh, make up a plan, you know? Yeah. And, and this is why it's important, I guess, in the story. I got some thoughts on this too, but like this is um why it was important for her to be living in the same apartment that they lived in together all this time is because she was able to collect all this um you know intimate stuff from this dude you know like shavings blood you know from where he cut himself like jizz from there like from the bed and everything all this like stuff that would go into making some kind of uh you know voodoo doll of somebody you know or some some kind of like uh you know i forgot the term but like uh you know a representation of this person you know yeah yeah like a lot of people believe, capture his essence you know yeah a lot of people believe if you get there like you know nail clippings hair like you know all this kind of stuff that you can then affect that person by uh you know and i think the way that she utilizes it is very clever so she takes it all she kind of recites some type of prayer over over this like pile of stuff and she takes it to the to the factory and dumps it into all the plastic that's getting turned into the the toys, <laughs> and uh, and then, you know, it's how it's Christmas. That's like the number one toy. All these, and then it describes like how all these kids like 
fuck with these toys and break them and burn them and all stuff. And yeah. uh, so I thought it was funny. And then it, it ends with basically like, all of a sudden he goes into like a fucking seizure essentially that won't stop. It's like a nonstop seizure. <laughs> it it's um in a lot of ways this uh, reminds me almost like an EC Comics like story. You know what I mean? It's def- this is one hundred percent like a a EC comic story. Like it's a little bit it's obviously more rough, like in what happens to her at first, but the whole whole way that it's arranged is 100% a Tales from the Crypt type of storyline because that's that's how a lot of those ended. It's like uh, just like a, almost like a crime story and then at the end you add this like little touch of the fantastical, you know what I mean, where the, the dead come back to life or yeah, somebody's right. like, you know, you make a voodoo doll or something at the end and that's kind of what happens with this. Like, you know, basically he basically goes into like a constant seizure until he dies basically, you know, and now she's able to live her life, you know. And in those great like EC comic stories, there's always the, the guy always gets his comeuppance. You know what I mean? There's always like some retribution at the end of the story where the the bad guy gets like you know his just desserts, and you know there's there's like a uh, you know validation of everybody at the end. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like I think that's the 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 great thing about the EC comics is basically telling people, yeah, you, you you're not going to get away with it. You know, like there's justice yeah, in the world. Weird, you know? um, it's like these weird passion plays, you know, that they would always have like, you know, a moral, a moralistic sort of like a message with those old, old comic books. Exactly. Yeah. Which seemed to be lost in a lot of the people who were against them back in the day. You know what I mean? Like all those guys are like, they're going to, comics are going to rot your brain and, you know, cause juvenile delinquents and stuff. But they didn't realize that these core comics they were so against were actually kind of teaching like, don't be an asshole. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally, man. Like, yeah, th- those are great, man. Some of the best art too was in in a lot of those old old comic books. Good writing, good art. You know, that was uh, before the comics code came and ruined it for everybody. You know. Yeah, yeah. I'm a huge fan of BC. Like, I have a couple of the old hardcover reissues they did back in you know the 90s or whatever, early 2000s. Like the 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 full color, like um, you know, not quite omnibus, but they're like bigger size, but. Nowadays they're putting them all out in um, trade paperback. They started that this year, which I want to try to start picking up all those. Like, particularly for um, like I have Tales from the Crypt and Vault of Horror stuff, but I don't really have a lot of Haunt of Fear, so I need I want to pick up a lot of those as well. But yeah, I love all that Tales from the Crypt shit. Like, I, so that's kind of one of those things that that you know, I remember reading them when I was a kid because I used to get the. Uh, the paperback reprints. or not the reprints yeah. they did in the nineties where they have like two, two issues together or whatever. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I just feel like that stuff like takes me back, takes you to that. Just like when you want that horror feeling, a certain type of horror feeling there, they're some of the great stuff. And I think that's why, you know, everybody from like Stephen King and all these people like reference it. And I think, I definitely think that that is intentional here. I think, Wagner obviously is probably a fan of those as well. So, you know. Yeah, the um in some ways too, this also reminds me almost like a Stephen King story, too. I mean, not this it's like the seediness of Michael Shea, you know, less the um Lovecraftian twist, like the Cthulhu mythos. And with the kind of um narrative trajectory of like a Stephen King, you know, short story. 
you know, that that's how this this kind of like if I was to describe this to somebody, that's how I would describe it with like an EC comics like kind of you know framework to it. Yeah. Definitely the first time I was reading, I was like, okay, so this is Wagner story, it's a horror story. When's something supernatural gonna happen? And the fact that it only happens in the last page <laughs> of the story to yeah. yeah. It's like literally like the last page and it's like, okay. That's where it's going. And I think um yeah, I th- and obviously like from what I read at the beginning, obviously part of his intention was to tell a horror story of people, you know, like getting attached to the wrong person. It's a horror story of, you know, what can happen to people. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this is a very different story in this book, you know, and out of any of the Wagner horror stories I've read, this one sticks out as being different, you know, like, um, yeah, it's a little bit more. And in some ways, like, I feel like, yes, it tells a complete story. But in a lot of ways, it lacks some of the layering of his other stories, you know. And um, it's still a great, still enjoyable. But I, this is probably, like, not one of my top, you know, stories by him, really. Yeah, I would say out of the ones we covered so far, it's probably my least favorite. You know, like, um, not because it's a, you know, it's a great story in the sense that it's easy to follow. It has that hard-boiled type of feeling or whatever. But... It's not one that I'd go back to. Also, like, there's only, you know, uh, so often because it's like, also, I mean, there's only so much I want to read about some woman being fucking brutalized. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah. Yeah. After a while, I was like, damn, when's, when's this going to, you know, like shift over? Cause it got, it got, you know, kind of depressing actually reading some of this stuff, you know? Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah. I mean, it, we just, we kind of skimmed over like some of the stuff, but it's like, yeah, it's not, it's not it's not very it's not very nice <laughs> you know what i mean it's very fucked up absolutely not yeah very He's definitely not a nice guy <laughs> <laughs> so you know i think um it definitely makes you hate the guy so you feel good when he dies at the end but it's kind of like this story actually would do really well i think in one of those like anthology films you know like um you know where they're like one of those, like a, a movie, like or a series where they have like anthology horror stories. Like this one could be told in like a very tight narrative format, like in a film form. I think you know. Yeah, I mean, you could even talk about Tales from the Crypt. Like this could be a Tales from the Crypt episode very easily. You know, you could tell a story in half an hour. You know, like, um, it's it's because you could condense some of the stuff down and kind of give people the gist. I mean. I mean, already in this writing, he's kind of doing that, but you could even do it a little bit more to people get the idea, you know, it could totally be told in 20 minutes, half an hour. Well, especially like, like the ending, you know, where, where, um, like even as a kid, you know, with action figures, I used to like fucking dismember, you know, burn them, melt them down, like crush them with rocks and things like that. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. You know, so I'm thinking more like those little plastic army men that, like, you know, these, when you're a kid, you know, you can just melt them down and stuff, you know, and it's just, that would be such a great scene at the end where they're melting down this these action figures and this guy's like suffering and burning up and everything, you know. Yeah, he's describing like kids like chewing on them and <laughs> all this stuff. Them, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like you could it it's a, it could be a very cinematic story in a way, you know. And uh, I guess you could tone down some of the like you don't have to show her fucking doing porno. You just describe kind of show no, it like no. how it is in the movie, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that that could be that could have been like that could be edited down to like a, a montage or something like that, you know? Yeah, you can see kind of a montage, or you see her, or you see her going into situations and coming out of them. You don't have to like 
get all the gory details, you know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was a that was a quickie, man. That one was like very short to the point, you know, a very terse sort story as you put it earlier. And uh yeah, definitely um definitely something to check out though, especially in comparison to all of his other material that's included in this book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny too cuz it was not um published until the later edition of of the this collection like the 1980s collection or whatever version of this collection so it was it was not in that original one you were saying right no it wasn't this was one of the ones that was unpublished until the the last version of this this book yeah so i tried to find other people talking about this too just for the hell of it you know because like there's you know there's other podcasts they talk about wagner but this one's absent, and I guess that's why, because it just has it wasn't available. <laughs> yeah, I think it says. Let me see again. It was published in. Um. Yeah, I think it was a. Uh, yeah, it was published in the Screen Press edition, which I think was the one that came out. Um when the the writing at the end of this one is was done which i think was like uh let's see I should say here um no oh man i don't know I th oh uh until the 80s so okay yeah so it didn't it didn't so i mean but there's only been what a couple editions of in a lonely place so i mean it's been a, yeah if you had to, you had to buy that edition or or wasn't because it wasn't collected in it and like the one you have like the where the summer ends collection right no it wasn't in that one yeah so yeah i mean probably also some people probably don't want to cover it because it's like so different from the rest of the stories but i mean we're going through the book so we're covering everything so <laughs> it's definitely if you're a completist it's definitely you know you got to read it because uh, you know all of Wagner's work has merit, in my opinion. You know, and, and this one too is a, is though I said it's not my favorite of his, but it's definitely um, very hard hitting, you know, hard boiled, sleazy descent. You know, with like a, a good revenge ending. You know, yeah, yeah. And I know we got we got listeners out there who are following along, which is cool. You know, like reading. Totally, man. Actually, people have come. You know, con probably you too. Like they pick these books up, you know, and, and that's great because like, I, like one of the mission statements and even doing this, trying to turn people onto uh, Carl Edward Wagner's material, you know, and he's one of the, the greats in my opinion, that sadly is like out there in obscurity. And if it wasn't for, you know, a handful of podcasts talking about him and Valancourt books publishing this volume, you know, his stuff might remain out in that weird nether world of obscurity, you know? Yeah, exactly. So maybe there'll be a, a Wagner revival, you know. Let's hope so. We can be I guess we can be part of that. <laughs> the Kane stories, man, they're so rich and so like Kane as a character, you know, if you were to make a you can make like a ongoing series about that character that would last for seasons if it was done well. You know, if you had yeah, yeah like you had the right guy playing him and you had a you know a good team a creative team behind it and you had a great writer and you could create such a, a rich world that could go on for many many seasons you know just people have there has to i mean someone has to take a chance on it you know 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. Like, I mean, we don't even have, like, like I don't see them, like, doing a Conan series even. So it's kind of like, I mean, like, I would, I would like to see any of that, you know? Yeah, that baffles me, too. That there's no solid Conan series, you know? I mean, because, and part of me feels like a lot of it was, is people are almost intimidated to do Conan. You know, to read because it the last one, you know, I, I kind of dug the last movie that came out, the one the one that came out a few years ago, like maybe 10 years ago. Yeah, Jason Momoa. I mean, yeah, it, it wasn't a bad, it really wasn't a bad movie, really. Um, and uh, but since then, I just feel like because that one kind of got panned by people, you know, and I think that everyone, everyone has in, in their mind, like the Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, from the 80s. And I got to be honest, as much as I love Arnold Schwarzenegger and I'm, I'm, I appreciate that movie, none of neither one of them were really accurate tellings of the of the Robert E. Howard character. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I mean, Conan the Barbarian, the first one is regardless, like one of my favorite movies. But uh, yeah. but if you're being objective about it, it's not super, you know, like it's not like Conan is not described as a. Uh, Arnold type of type of guy. I mean, he's, no, absolutely Jason, not. Yeah, Jason Momoa totally. is actually probably a bit closer to how Conan is described. You know, yeah, what like, I mean? like athletic, like more like a fighter as opposed to a bodybuilder. You know that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, you know, just like, and also just the elements of Conan as like, you know, he he had a lot more of like cunning. I think as like, uh, you know, it, it wasn't just like barbarism. You know, there was a lot of magical and fantastical elements in the stories, you know, and there is a lot of Lovecraftian stuff, a lot of darkness in all those stories, you know, and, and the the films never really captured that, in my opinion. Yeah, well, Conan and Destroyer is horrible. Like, I do, I love Conan and Barbarian, but uh, the Destroyer is absolutely horrendous. Like, and um, I think uh, that's the problem. They were supposed to do more. I mean, I, but then... Uh, they just didn't and i mean i would have liked i would like to see bring back some conan some conan and maybe get a little bit more into like you said the lovecraftian you know more fantastical elements because you know a lot of love so much of the conan stuff is lovecraftian it's set in the same world as lovecraft i mean in conan the conqueror he literally at one point is is set upon by a pack of ghouls as in the lovecraftian ghouls you know what i mean yeah absolutely i mean and, and it's no i mean there's two volumes of uh letters between lovecraft and robert e howard you know that uh hippocampus put out you know so they there was a lot of correspondence between those two a lot of borrowing you know especially from robert e howard borrowing from lovecraft you know as far as like mythologies go and you know names of gods and there's references to the old ones and like all that sort of stuff yeah i mean literally if you think about it like literally the conan stories are completely set in the same world as lovecraft stuff it's just set in the back in the time because it's it's you know i mean it's got the same they share like a lot of the same same you know entities and all the stuff which is purposeful like i think howard was purposely trying to like Make make a link between Lovecraft's work and Conan. You know what I mean, like, and even Solomon Kane has some of that elements. And I think basically Howard is basically presenting that his world and Conan's were kind of the same shared universe in a way. You know. Yeah, totally. You know, you know who I always thought would have been great um, to do uh, like a Conan or a Robert E. Howard thing was, especially after seeing The Northman, like Robert Eggers. 
you know, like that, the way that they, his film, the Northman kind of unfolded to me would have been like, that's how they should do a Conan movie, you know, because yeah. there's a, there are like, these like really, there's like magical components of that. You know, there's like brutal action, you know, there's like good acting in it. It's like well-directed. It's like shot really well. It's like kind of like, you know, artsy in a way, you know, that's how they should do a Conan, you know, movie or series or whatever. Yeah, I agree. I think that would be the, the, uh, the optimum way, like, you know, take, take Conan seriously, like make it dark and, you know, I mean, people would like that. I mean, people like Game of Thrones and stuff. You could do Conan series and make it pretty exciting, I think. And, you know, you could uh, cover like a lot of the stories in the collections and everything. And, and you, you could pull off something like Tower of the Elephant now. Like, I mean, you know. I mean, my, as much as I love Conan, like Cole is still like one of the faves, though. It's just like, darkness and the brooding like nature of those stories you know and uh his character is like a little bit more pensive and i don't know i, I like that i like cole a lot too yeah cole is great and of course you get you got the serpent people and the take on the shape of humans and call which which is funny because that i mean you know nowadays there's like a whole like conspiracy theories about the the reptile reptile yeah. overlords with that like i mean I feel like Howard created that because I, I don't know anything else before, you know, Cole that had that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's perfect. You know, it would be like uh, relevant today, especially if you're like these like right wing, like conspiracy theory types who believe that the world is being, you know, these like reptilian overlords <laughs> and all that. <laughs> I wonder what they would think if something like that came out and they'd be like, see, we're right. They're trying to tell us that there's reptilian, <laughs> you know, like they try to like turn it, you know, how they always talk about like, um, they, they try to introduce stuff in movies first before they're like social engineering or whatever. They would probably have a field day with a Cole story, I imagine. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Any, the ones you can read that are out there that would, you know, be able to actually read a story. Yeah, great. Yeah, but particularly if you see a movie and they don't know the stories, you know, because they're stupid. So, oh, right. they, yeah, you know, yeah. they see a Cole movie and see Serpent People, they're like, see, they're trying to tell us. <laughs> like, we're right. There are, you know, I always thought that the whole reptilian thing was like ridiculous. Like I remember first time somebody told me about that whole like conspiracy theory. I was just like, are you serious right now? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's pretty, was it, uh, was it David Ike was the first guy to bring that in? That's the, the, uh, Midabiru guy. Like he was the first one I, that I, in modern introduced that idea of like the reptiles and, you know, the, these like the secret society of reptilians like controlling the world. Yeah, between him and then obviously you had the other element of the uh what's his name? The guy who did um the thing like introducing the idea of the Anunnaki. Um I forget what his name is. He did that he yeah, did that he did that like like kind of fucked up translation of the Sumerian tablets and tried to make it seem like there was like the planet Nibiru and all this stuff like that. Wait, was it what's that? David Ike, I think. Well, no, Ike didn't do the the Nebiru stuff. I think he took that up and ran with it. But the original guy who did that, I, I forget his name. Like he was like a, he posed himself as a scholar, but he was and oh, I'm I'm the first person who knows how to translate these Sumerian tablets, and um, I can't think of his name, but this shit's ridiculous. And he's like, and that that kind of then I think um. Ike, David Ike then took that whole framework of the 
Anunnaki and the and the planet Nibiru and all that stuff, and then brought in the element of the reptilians and all that stuff. And definitely, like the first the first person I knew who actually I met who actually like was straight face telling me about this fucking, this fucking thing, thing. She believed she in both of those things. Of those things. <laughs> wow! Like, like for real, like it's, literally believed in them. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, I, I used to, before like conspiracy theories became life threatening to people. Um, it's so much fun to read about all that stuff. I have a couple of David Icke books in my collection too. You know, it's it's bullshit, but it's like fun fantasy stuff to read. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of the conspiracy theory stuff is just kind of like it's kind of um, it's fun to fun to read because you're just like, man, this is some crazy shit. Yeah, and it's like, uh, yeah, it's only it's only a pro. I mean, problem when you have um have people like literally believing certain types of conspiracies that are just like idiotic, you know, like, I mean, obviously the world has conspiracies. People do conspire to do certain things, but, uh, usually it's a lot more, um, seedy and than uh, what these people are talking about. You know what I mean? That's like, <laughs> like I was listening to a podcast of Nicholas Shrek today about his, his, um, book, the Manson file. Yeah. And like, um, from all of his research and everything, the whole like, you know, the murders pretty much didn't really have much, didn't have a whole lot to do with Manson himself. And it was like more like the people involved in some like drug deals gone bad essentially. And it was like reprisal killings and stuff. And it's like, but um, unfortunately it involved, obviously involved very high up people in the, in the Hollywood, Hollywood world. So he's like, you know, trying to, you know, posing that, probably there was some obfuscation to keep the details, you know, let's pull it, let's put, print the myth or everything. Oh yeah. It's like some type of like satanic ritual thing or, you know, all the stuff they say about Manson, like where he's like, no, it's probably just a lot more seedy and believable than that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's always, they create some fanciful story to hide some mundane, you know, power grab or something like that. I mean, even, even the conspiracy theories today are basically, Oh yeah, it's a smoke screen. Let's think like, that you know this like satanic cult is running this party but the reality is they're just trying to you know fool everybody into having an authoritarian take over the country and start you know you know run, running it as a as like a you know a, a king essentially you know yeah it's always it's always like a in my opinion a lot of those things there's always like a a smoke screen you know like like uh yeah, real conspiracies is usually or like uh follow you can follow the money you know what i mean but exactly like, that's that's where you have to have like uh, some uh, i guess some brains you know or some discernment <laughs> some critical thinking about things like as opposed to just accepting like oh it's some random person's like posting on who says says like that was the thing i thought was funniest about like say the QAnon thing is that you have some person posting stuff on an anonymous thing like just saying you could say whatever and people were just like believing it i just thought that was like the most ridiculous thing i've ever seen in my life <laughs> yeah it's 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 uh really I, you know someday i would love to find out who or what group of people is actually creating those posts you know what i mean yeah i yeah i <laughs> i remember i was kind of out of the loop on that and when i finally like heard about all that stuff going on i was just like are people really this stupid <laughs> you know apparently they are there was that documentary series. It was, I think, it was on either HBO or Showtime, maybe HBO. You know, it, it covers the whole 4chan thing, and and uh, you know, 
there's this um they kind of all but say that it's this one particular guy that's making all the QAnon posts you know oh, but really? it's still it's still not like confirmed or you know so it's all a speculation really right but whoever that one guy was he's probably has nothing to do with the government right just like, yeah no he didn't it's total just chaos like a guy who just wants to create chaos essentially yeah well you do have these kind of uh discordian people and the whole troll culture and stuff like that where they you know that's why you really can't believe a lot of stuff on the on the internet unless you have verification of it you know like you can't accept whatever you read necessarily because you know maybe it's being told by somebody who just wants to spread like like lies essentially to sow discord because that's what they get off on or something you know what i mean yeah no absolutely that's you know that that that's the dangers of the, the world we live in right now where especially now with like these kind of ai deep fakes that are going on you know people creating audio that are based on other, someone's voice patterns things like that you know it's going to become more and more of this like bizarre you know nether world that we live in right but the one thing i, I do kind of like um i do kind of um I don't know. I comfort myself with the in a way, I guess, kind of. A, but is that in the? It was almost just as bad, or if not worse, say in the eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. I mean, yellow journalism, where they just print straight up lies, was right. They didn't even try to have any kind of, you know, p people like Hearst or Pulitzer. You know, they owned these big papers. They owned all the papers basically, and they would print whatever the fuck they wanted. They didn't care about any kind of semblance of truth at all like they would if they wanted to push an agenda of one of their their you know corporate friend you know friends big business friends or something they would just fucking post whatever they could ruin somebody's career by posting just straight up lies you know what i mean like so it's in a way it's not this kind of stuff's always been like that you know and at least like i mean Newspapers have a little bit more of a semblance of reality, but even than now than they did in, you know, the 1900s, you know, I mean, early, you know, 1950s or whatever. Yeah. Well, you know, back then that was literally the only form of medium it, media in which information was disseminated was a written word. You know, there wasn't radio or TV or, you know, video or anything like that, you know, no internet. So, you know, it's even more insidious that the sole media that, is being used is corrupted at that point you know to that level yeah the whole idea of independent journalism that like, the whole idea of like some kind of like journalism that has like i guess some morals or integrity really didn't get started until the 60s really i mean that's when that that idea first started and you know 60s and 70s and it, you know and that period was like the height of that you know what i mean right which if you think about it that's you know a very short period of time so systems like to go back to where they were. So I feel like we're kind of going back to that older form now, but it's just more chaotic because you have lies coming from everywhere. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> like, well, man, that sucks. Well, I'm just going to read my, my Wagner stories or whatever. <laughs> well, speaking of Wagner, back back to back to Wagner, the next next story in the in the series, in the sequence, is um, is, is uh, uh, one, of the, one of the ones I actually quite like, quite like that one, the, the 20, uh, 22 odd Swift. Yeah, I I'm kind of reading the stories as we go to kind of be like my you know like for the most part. So I haven't read it yet, so I'm looking forward to. Ah, uh, yeah, that's yeah. a good one. This is like maybe the third or fourth time I read some of these stories. So yeah, that's a good one, man. You'll enjoy it. Yeah, 
I was going to read through the whole book, but then I was like, you know, I kind of like to just go through as we go through. And then it's like my fresh and, you know, sure. you know, I'm having like a fresh, like experience with reading it as we talk about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Man. Totally. Yeah. The, um, All right, so like until, uh, until next time, it's, uh, it was awesome talking to you, man. Yeah. You too, man. I uh, hope everybody enjoys and, uh, we'll see you next time. Take care guys.